This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Genocide and colonisation are ongoing processes that continue to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded, this always was and always will be. Aboriginal land. Hey everybody and welcome back to Ozpol Snackpod, the podcast where two of Australia's foremost political nobodies bring you bite-sized chunks of Australian politics and news with a side of crispy memes. I'm Noon and with me is Zach. Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome back. Apologies for last week's episode. We genuinely didn't consider the possibility that people might be upset by that. <laughs> I think we maybe played the joke a little bit too straight. Yeah, unfortunately, it was also an extremely successful episode. We've got a lot of new listeners who presumably were there to hear about Friendly Geordies, and, and we yeah. didn't. Yeah, so, If you've um, stuck around since then, sorry that your first experience with us was an episode that basically had no jokes except for a giant prank in it. Uh, and thank you for sticking around. Uh, I don't know why you are, but we appreciate it. Some people clearly did like it because we have three new patrons this week. So shout outs to Sam and Joshua and Oscar. Thank you so much for supporting us. It's really lovely, especially given yeah, what, what that episode that we was. Just, that we literally just punked you. Also, just um, by the way, Friendly Geordie's, and I know we swore never to speak of him again, but he did a video this week of an apology uh, for this whole thing, but then he didn't apologize. And I think he got that concept from us. That's, that's my personal theory. Yeah. No, I mean, we've long said that um, he gets all his best ideas from us, so. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) One other thing before we start is that uh, we have an exciting new segment right at the end of the show, uh, and we're going to do it at the end of every show, and uh, it's going to be a little tasty treat for listeners who stick around, so you'll get a little bit of extra Noon and Zach without the politics or memes. Oh, that's the best part. (laughs) The politics and memes? Yeah. No, the the other bit. (laughs) Well, you'll want to stay to the end of the episode, Zach. Um, also, last week we mentioned that there was the Northern Territory election and that we hadn't talked about it yet, so we wanted to talk about it a little bit up top. Um, so basically, Labour has been re-elected. Seems like they're going to have an outright majority, uh, but there are still some seats undecided. There are four seats on uh, like a knife edge with less than 100 votes uh, in it between first and second place. Um, it looks like no matter how that goes, Labour's definitely going to being government regardless, Mm. Um, but there's still a lot to be won or lost. Uh, And Labour is mad because there may have been some electoral crimes committed, uh, some like postal fraud or whatever with the uh, postal voting after close of polls. Uh, But it seems like that's probably not going to make a difference to anything. Postal voting is so hot right now. It's true. You know? Yeah. All around the world. It's all anybody's talking about. Postal this, voting that. Uh, another interesting thing, as you mentioned last time, Zach, there was, uh, there's a new party that's running in the Northern Territory this time, the Territory Alliance, uh, and they seem to have basically split the conservative vote and handed Labour a couple of seats. Maybe handed is a bit strong, but like there's a, the, the Liberal Nationals reckon that, um, that they would have won several seats if the Territory Alliance wasn't there, which is definitely possible, but uh, fuck them. Oh, we say new, they had been around, they were around before the election. Um, sure. But, uh, but they weren't, like, really a force. No, well, they had more seats than the country liberals did before. Right. The, they had three seats, and the country liberals only had two. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, if the country liberals are complaining that um, their <laughs> territory alliance is... I mean, it's the same thing when any political party is like, hey, you're splitting our vote and taking our voters. Like, we own you should have done that. Yeah. yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> those yeah. votes should go to us no matter how terrible we are. Yeah. Amazing, uh, the the attitude of politicians in this silly country. All well, right, speaking Noon. of uh, bad political opinions and, and takes, uh, let's in move Australia, on to the entree. It's more likely than you think. Yeah, that's right. Uh, this week there was an article published in The Age by their investigative team uh, who've done a bunch of great work, and it was called That's Politics, Inside the Liberal Party's Branch Stacking Machine. Uh, and basically, they got a huge amount of leaks uh, of messages from a guy called Marcus Bastian, who is a huge piece of shit. Uh, he's oh, yeah. I didn't realize the leaks came from him. That's no, so funny. No, 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 he didn't give them the leaks. Oh, uh, so okay, okay. They were leaks about him. About him, yeah, yeah. Because I remember was reading through the story and being like, "Damn." 
someone's dishing the dirt on Bastion. <laughs> yeah. You'd be like, yeah, he leaked it about himself. I was like, wow. <laughs> there was actually a line in the article that was like, we got leaked this from a huge number of people. Uh, I don't think that was all of it, but there was one thing that was apparently so egregious that like seven different people leaked it to like mm. seven different media organizations. Um, so yeah, absolutely he, he's, leaking he's like not a well sieve. loved. Yeah. No, no. And but there's like secret recordings and stuff that are embedded in the article. And this is exactly the same shit that was happening with the Somurak branch stacking in the Labour yes. Party that, ha- that they reported on earlier in the year. Like they had audio recordings there as well. It's just everybody in both of these political parties is just constantly gathering hard evidence of corruption on each other on all the fucking friends. time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The colleagues, rather. Yeah, <laughs> and like that's kind of... Well, the Somurek comparison is very apt uh, because there's a number of similarities, including uh, they both used a lot of racial slurs about people who weren't in their factions. Um, But also, like... I mean, yeah, it's branch stacking in the state Liberal Party and before it was branch stacking in the state Labour Party, and a lot of the methods are exactly the fucking same. Absolutely. And we actually did... Oh, you did a bigger explainer a couple of months ago in our episode called Single Member Gourds, which we'll link below if you're interested in more about what branch stacking is and about Adam Somurek. Uh, mm. But basically, branch stacking is when you get a bunch of people to join up in your local party that then they don't care what happens, so they let you control their votes. Uh, and it's a way for factional warriors to get power, uh, quote-unquote factional warriors, as everyone calls them in the media, because they're like trying to sound cool when they're basically giant nerds. And I meant to say this before, but Bastian is a huge pickle boy. He has literally never done anything other than Liberal Party politics. He graduated like a year before us or something, two years ahead of us, and then immediately became a Liberal Party insider. Um, yeah. And he's he's famous for uh, trying to take down Turnbull, basically, and Turnbull's colleagues, or his, like, his circle of moderates. It's funny how many people in the Liberal Party you could describe in that way. <laughs> That's very true, yeah. But yeah, he, he brought a huge number of Mormons into the uh, Victorian yes. Liberal Party, is the Victorian other thing you may have heard of. overrun yeah. by Mormons. This is a thing. Yes, and it's because and it's, of Bastian. And it was him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he, one of the leaks was extremely incriminating. And what he said here was, my preference much strongly, sick, is to be elected to the Senate. I'd like to have a seat where I didn't have to deal with the constituent problems, but I could continue to run the faction so I could fill parliament, both state and federal, with good people. And so what he's saying there is he wants a Senate seat because he gets an extra two years and because it's not really subject to the whim of the people in the same way that a lower house seat is. Because like a lower house seat, you can just get voted out. Whereas the Senate, there's basically like two guaranteed liberal seats, two guaranteed labor seats, and then one that could go to either. And so if you can like get one of those two of your party's safe seats you like literally don't even have to try um, i love that description of constituent like, problems getting constituent problems like are you talking about fucking getting elected and being held accountable to the people that you're supposed to represent yeah, that's exactly that is... what he doesn't have to deal with man see like try as hard as we can on this podcast to describe the way that these political thugs think We'll never get anywhere near as close as one of them just literally saying exactly what he thinks of politics. Mm. Yep. His entire job is just to maintain power and accrue it for himself and his buddies. Well, not anymore, because he has in fact resigned. (laughs) Um, But the leaks about him also strongly incriminate two other Liberal MPs, a guy called Michael Suka, who is terrible, and a guy called Kevin Andrews, who's awful. Um, and the two things that they've been sort of recorded doing is plotting to get rid of sitting Liberal MPs, uh, which probably isn't a crime, but is definitely, like, officially uncool, according to the Liberal Party. <laughs> um, and the other thing is they're planning to illegally hire people as parliamentary staff and then have them do factional work on the mm. taxpayer dollar. And that one is definitely, definitely a felony. Illegal. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a and crime. It's, yeah, it's the same shit as with the Somurek stuff. Like, all of the branch yeah. decky, etc. is, like, extremely fucking dodgy and against party rules, but not illegal. But this, like, one technical thing with the staffers is definitely illegal. But, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, everybody and- does it. <laughs> Just to to wrap up, uh, I mean, yeah, everyone's been drawing the comparison with Somurek, except Scott Morrison, who has uh, been <laughs> remarkably silent on this mm. issue, saying it's, quote, a matter for Victoria. And there was a good Simpsons meme of, like, 
oh, there's something wrong with what my Scott Morrison doll says. It's a matter for Victoria. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, he has not been calling for resignations from Sukar and Andrews, uh, which he was with the people implicated by Somirek. He's just trying to ignore it as much as possible. Uh, but he also clearly knows about it and participates in this stuff as well because like how did he get his job he was the marcus bastion of new south wales for like four years yeah yeah cool great job All right. liberal party really embarrassing yourself a lot uh, really, that, really shall we job. move on to a uh, refreshing round of coronas Yes, it's actually just another story about the Liberal Party embarrassing themselves. Nice, um, nice. And also, uh, well, yeah, contributing to the deaths of many people, so... Mm, love it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, I've got some more beers. Oh, I don't know if I can drink anymore. I'm feeling kind of sick. No, come on, we're having another round of Coronas. Uh, so before we kind of get stuck into the main little Corona story here, um, a, just a quick update that um, as of record time of recording, which is Saturday morning... Uh, Victoria's new corona cases are down to 94, which is the first time boop, boop. that they've been under 100 in almost two months. So that's obviously a really good sign. Um, we did record uh, 18 new deaths as well down here, though. So that, you know, it, it's still really bad. Yep. Uh, but things are definitely moving in the right direction very definitely, which is really good to see. Uh, but I wanted to talk today a little bit about Richard Colbeck, who um, I know that everybody knows exactly who I'm talking about when I bring him up. Old Ricky um, Coles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that guy. Exactly. Is but he... uh, let me just refresh your memory <laughs> in case, for whatever reason, a detail or two has slipped your mind. He's the Minister for Aged Care. And he made the papers last week. In the Victorian <laughs> government. No, no, no. Federal Minister for Aged Care. Right, right. Thank you. Uh, and he made the papers um, last week because he fronted a parliamentary inquiry about deaths in the aged care system due to COVID. And he was asked how many people in aged care had died from COVID. And he was, he said something like, oh, let me just check my notes and then sort of ruffled through pieces of paper for over half a minute it's just excruciating wow. to watch. And then was like... I did hear about this, but I didn't see the footage. Yeah, it's it's just... It's awful, awful to watch. Hey, he didn't have the numbers. He was asked uh, how many people in aged care have contracted COVID. Again, didn't have the numbers. Um, and as of last Friday, there have been 373 deaths in the aged care system due to COVID and 1,827 total cases. And that amounts to two-thirds of total deaths from COVID throughout the country. Big proportion, as we've uh, discussed previously. So he was then called before the Senate. He was compelled by a motion to explain the government's handling of the aged care outbreaks. And he gave a little speech and he said, you know, mistakes have been made. We could have done better, etc. And then uh, when Penny Wong got up to respond, he just turned and walked out of the chamber uh, and everybody was like, wait, wait, what the fuck are you doing? Um, Penny Wong called for his res resignation. Uh, Anthony Albanese later did the same thing uh, separately. So, yeah, I mean, obviously the HK outbreak here in Victoria, but also uh, uh, the COVID, you know, the, the impact of COVID throughout the HK sector mm. nationally has been just fucking devastating. We've done uh, a deeper dive on it in a previous episode. Um, but... You know, this this Colbeck guy, obviously, you know, he's one of these people who just only shows up when they when he's massively fucked up, essentially. The, otherwise, you'd have literally no reason to know his name. An Angus Taylor um, kind of a guy. Exactly. Strong Angus Taylor energy. Um, this sort of like, I don't know, political squib that sort of gets shunted around in various like not particularly highly regarded ministries and cap and like political positions because you know he's just like he's chaff he's just meat in the room he's liberal party meat in the room um so l let me give you a little bit of background on this guy he's a he's a tassie guy who's elected to the senate in 2015 he's a moderate liberal so he was like a turnbull supporter uh -huh. throughout all of the um skomo nonsense etc he worked his way up through minor positions under howard and then abbott 
2015, he got himself a Minister for Tourism and International Education position under Turnbull. In 2016, he lost his seat, and he blames that on Eric Abetz, which is very mm-hmm. funny to me, more that is quite infighting. Funny. But essentially, I think he put his hand up to be first on the ticket in Tasmania, and Eric Abetz just spat the dummy and basically campaigned as hard as he could to get him bumped down to a really low spot on the ticket, right. uh, and he lost his seat. But then, in 2018, in the midst of all the Section 44 mm-hmm. business with uh, politicians resigning left, right, and center because their dad was born in uh, Ireland or whatever, or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, another liberal, Stephen Parry, declared himself ineligible, and after a recount, Richard Colbeck gets back into parliament and then gets appointed Minister for Aged Care and Senior Australians in 2019 under Morrison. So this is some pretty... Uh, textbook upwards failure. Yeah. Uh, I think. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, it, it's, this, I think, does tie into what we, what you were discussing with the branch stacking before in terms of the way that politicians see their job and what their actual job is. Like, mm. politicians and governments, their main concern is at getting and then keeping power. They spend all their time and energy getting good at doing that. When they actually have to like govern and take care of people, they just haven't trained for it at all. That's mm. what they see that as being their job. I mean, this guy's position nominally is supposed to be to take care of some of the most vulnerable and neglected people mm. in our society. And he just didn't do it. And the government was in, proved, has proven itself incapable of doing it either. And they were warned, you know, and we've discussed this before, but they knew that there was a huge risk of really fatal outbreaks in Mm. aged care. They had the examples of what was happening overseas. You had massive outbreaks happening in aged care in other countries that um, where the virus broke out earlier than Australia. They had an ongoing Royal Commission into aged care telling them time and again that the standard of care was terrible and this, the sector was super vulnerable and really understaffed and full of very undertrained staff as well. They specifically had a report detailing the need for protocols for replacing the entire staff of aged care facilities because when outbreaks that was occur, something that's that had happened to happen. before. Yeah. Oh, in, in, yeah, but the previous time it happened, it was just because the operator shut down and went out of business. Oh, right. And they, there was no staff ready to step in that the government could mobilize. And of course, the privatization of the sector that has so undermined the standard of care was initiated by their own political forebears or ancestors or whatever you want to call them. But it happened under the Howard government. Yeah. This, you know, Howard who is... Scott Morrison's own political hero. Well, you say but ancestors, so, but also, like, it was them as well. Like, some Colbeck, of the, yeah, this, Colbeck was the there and people. Morrison was there. Yeah. It's just, yeah, exactly. Ancestors from 10 years ago. So, okay, Colbeck has just completely dropped the ball on this. I think, you know, we can agree that the response has been extremely lacking considering how much warning the government had about mm. this. And they just didn't put anything in place at all. To, to shore up the defences of the aged care sector. But, of course, Morrison is backing Colbeck in all the way because it's much more important to the government that they don't admit fault than it is to actually take care of people or install someone in that position who has any kind of political ability to handle this admittedly extremely tough position. Mm. But, like, this is what happens when you install, like some wet handkerchief who you just, you're like, oh, we'll just put him in a, in a, in a portfolio that no one cares about. We'll just give him a position. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, you know, we need someone to fill this role. Give it to this fucking guy. He's got no fucking idea what he's doing. And, and then you know, people this are dying is, this is what it. happens. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Mm. So, you know, I mean, I think it's a pretty shocking story, but it doesn't seem like he's going anywhere at the moment. But people are calling for his resignation. And so, you know, we probably haven't heard the last of that yet. Oh, good to know. It's always nice to know a little bit more about the incompetent assholes who are in charge of this country. Yeah. No doubt. All right. We're going to move on now to Fashy Australia. Fashy Australia. Uh, and I'm going to talk about the Christchurch shooter for a minute. Uh, it's going to be pretty short, but if you don't want to hear about that, maybe just skip forward a, a bloop or two on your podcast player. Uh, yeah. So the Christchurch shooter, Brenton Tarrant, uh, was found guilty of 51 murders and one count of terrorism. 
um, and he's going to be the first person ever in New Zealand to be sentenced to life without parole after new laws that were brought in in 2010. So he will never have any opportunity to leave jail ever again. Um, and he declined the opportunity to speak when he was sentenced, which was interesting. Um, there were some interesting articles about how people sort of like reclaimed the sentencing and like families and survivors of the shooting were like participating in some kind of like party slash ritual out the front of the courthouse. Sounds like, mm. yeah, it was pretty incredible um, mm. and like very meaningful for them. There were some very powerful victim impact statements right, mm. as mm. part of the proceedings, yeah. Um, and I actually think it's interesting that he declined to speak because, like, when he did the thing, he was clearly very excited to be as big of an asshole as possible. And this was another, probably his last opportunity to be an asshole um, in public. So I'm, I'm a bit surprised that he didn't. Um, yeah. Jacinta Ardern said that she hoped the victims had, quote, felt the arms of New Zealand around them. And she also said that she's never going to speak this guy's name again. Uh, and there was a bit of discourse about that this week. Tom Tanuki had a, a post about it saying that, that was a bit silly. I don't know about it, but I think it's like, I, I understand the symbolism of that. Um, there's also been a bit of debate in New Zealand about sending him to Australia to be in jail in Australia. Um, but it seems like that's legally essentially impossible. So it's not going to happen. And it's just Winston Peters, the deputy prime minister of New Zealand and some other people having a bit of like wishful thinking. And again, it's like more symbolism. I guess it's also Mm. that they have to pay. Apparently he's going to be a very expensive prisoner because he, um, uh, for whatever reason. So they're trying to like not pay for him for the rest of his life but um anyway uh fair enough i guess no one would want to no and i think it would be fine for australia to take him but yeah legally i don't think there's really a a pathway from here to there but whatever Mm. um yeah so although this is obviously like solomon said it might be our only ever good fashy australia yeah i mean i guess it's, I find, yeah, like complicated feelings always about anybody going to prison, but probably mm. least complicated about any person ever. Yeah. With, yeah. With There's a lot guy. of articles that are like, and he's going to rot in there and it's good or whatever. And I'm like, hmm, this reminds me of that Henry post about restorative justice, but uh, also <laughs> fuck this guy and it's fine. I mean, I think probably the like more vital conversation to have that I don't think that we have really reckoned with mm. as a country is the fact that we produced this guy. He mm. was an Australian. He was brought up here. He was radicalized here. Mm. He went to New Zealand in order to embed himself crime. and then commit this mm. horrible act. But yeah, he was produced here. And, you know, he, he came up at a time when white supremacy was maybe a little bit more visible in terms mm. of there being active like patriot organizations mm. and that kind of yeah, thing that's and, true. in a way that they're sort of they're, they're not out on the streets as much these days mm. but you know we have a political class and a media class that are very happy to spout the kind of rhetoric that's that inflames the kind of worldview that spurred someone like brenton yeah Tannen on yeah and just the other and- day there was um daisy cousins the sky news commentator sharing an instagram post of uh, a drawing of Carl Rittenhouse, who was the shooter who shot a couple of protesters to death in uh, Wisconsin, Wisconsin mm. earlier this week. Yeah, and she shared an Instagram post of a drawing of him saying that he'd done nothing wrong. Yeah. Like, she's actively endorsing a white supremacist shooter in real time. It's and amazing she is how... a paid media commentator. Yeah. It's amazing how thin of a deflection from a hate crime there needs to be before the like mainstream white supremacists jump on it. Like, like I don't think Daisy Cousins would have ever said that about Tarrant, but like, just like three percent less evil, and she's like, "This is a good cover for me. I love this guy." Like, it's so shameless and so like uh, that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's fu- it's it's fucking disgusting, and and yeah, this country and its media has a long way to go before they are ready to even acknowledge, let alone deal with the fact mm. that they do inspire these people with their rhetoric. 
Okay, that was lo- more than I wanted to spend on that. So why don't we move on to something a little more uh, lighthearted? You fucked up. Yeah, this week, uh, New South Wales government fucked up uh, because they have commissioned an array of new asbestos murder fairies, which seems like, um, you know, it wouldn't be a political winner, but they went ahead and did it anyway. It's a bit Um, odd. Someone was like, hey, do we want these asbestos murder fairies? And someone else was like, yes, we do. Spend a lot of money on it. Yeah. Actually, could we get 10? Yeah. I'd like 10 asbestos murder fairies, please. Um, Noon and I can attest Sydney public transport is a fucking mess. Yeah. Um, What was that one bus that had the loop in it? Oh, the uh, 445 slash 444. Yeah, that one around Petersham that just like an unnecessary. And in fact, the 444 has two unnecessary loops. One of them is good for nonners. Whatever. I have a lot of feelings about buses in the inner west of Sydney. Let's. <laughs> was, uh, yeah. that's, that's not what this show's about. There was one bus that we used to catch around our neighborhoods that had like the, part of its route is that it would just go around a block. And it would go around the like, block every time, like do a perfect circle and then continue on its way. Literally, and, no one uh, got on or off. Yeah. Yeah. I actually think it's more useful now that they've got the light rail going down there. Like, there's actually a change point. It's fine. Yeah, it makes... This isn't a Sydney transit show. But look, there is... Even though we are now, obviously, um, Melbourne elitists, we did grow up in Sydney, Mm. and so we know what it's like. And it was... um, The other thing I came across in researching this story was reminded of the the time that the New South Wales government ordered $2 billion worth of trains... Two years ago, and it turned out that they were, like, too wide for a whole bunch of tunnels and stations that they had to go through. Amazing. And they eventually ended up just widening the tunnels. Of course they did. That's the sensible (laughs) option. Uh, Oh, that's so funny. Anyway, okay. Gladys. So, the New South Wales government ordered 10 new ferries through Transdev, which, here's a fun sentence from their Wikipedia article. Transdev is a French-based international private public transport operator, which I found (laughs) very funny. Um, they are, yeah, an organization to which state governments uh, outsource their public transport. They sure. run buses here in Melbourne as well. Um, but so Transdev outsourced the building of these uh, 10 new ferries overseas. Uh, a few weeks ago, four of those ferries arrived in Australia and they had asbestos in them. The Maritime Union says that they'd been telling New South Wales government and Transdev that they'd been concerned that asbestos was going to be used in the construction for like a year and a half. They've been warning about this. Where are they used? Like, what is the in asbestos? Gaskets, like, apparently. Gaskets. Uh, okay. You know, don't blow sure. a gasket because if you do, you'll get you'll d- asbestos, asbestos everywhere and so you'll s- kill everybody whatever, on the yeah. ferry. Um, <laughs> Jeez. Apparently, the asbestos has been removed. Um, good, good. From these fairies now. But that's not the only way that people could get murdered by these fairies, is it, Zach? No. <laughs> then it came out a few days later that these boats have an open-air top deck so you can go and stand on the roof. But the top decks are so high that uh, the, when, they, when the fairies pass under two separate bridges on their route, that anybody standing on top of them would get fucking chopped oh in half. Oh, my God. Well, they'd probably be crushed, right? I don't think that, despite the excellent video that you made starring some footage from is it 2012's ship. Ghost Ship, uh, that that they would be cut in half. But no, I think it would be more like a grinding, bone-crushing yeah, kind mashed, of a situation. I mean, look, the some the chopping in half thing came from an article, and it is there. There are lots of amazing quotes around from various public transport experts being like, mm-hmm. "No, no, 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 no! They have their heads cut off." Um, <laughs> but, so, <laughs> but like that's not how impacts with bridges work. Whatever, it's fine. It doesn't matter. I mean, you don't know how fast these new river cats asbestos go. Asbestos fairies go yeah. powered. Yeah. <laughs> Shooting asbestos flames like a fucking nitrous tank out the back, like Vin Diesel cranking the NOS. <laughs> so the plan is that the ferry staff are going to have to make an announcement when they're approaching the bridges and tell everybody to get down from the top deck. Then mm-hmm. they'll rope it off, and then the ferry comes out the other side from these two bridges. They let people back up there. So the government's defense is that some charter boats already do this uh, under these bridges. <laughs> Those charter boats also happen to be run by Transdev, which I thought was pretty funny. Hmm. Transdev was like, it's fine. We do this shit all the time. There's no way that this is going to cause a massive PR disaster for you. Trust us. New South Wales government is like, okay, okay. Cool. seems chill. <laughs> so they knew about the height issue when they ordered the ferries. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. this isn't a fucking surprise. It's just surprising everybody else. 
Um, and uh, just another great detail of this story. The New South Wales Minister for Transport is Andrew Constance, that mm-hmm. guy who attempted to run for Eden Monero for five minutes and then um, withdrew when uh, John Barillaro uh, called him a cunt in national media. <laughs> um, and who is due to retire from politics at the end of this term, I think. Here's a quote from him. I just think everybody needs to take a chill pill <laughs> and realize that this is a good news story, not a bad one. They've been purposely designed this way so that commuters and those who enjoy the river cats can get outside. A lot of people do like to get outside on ferries and enjoy the wonderful scenery and fresh air. At the moment, you can't get outside on river cats. Soon they're going to be able to go outside for the first time, so that's a great outcome. Uh, unless someone drowns. Yeah, you know, or like, gets their nose broken by a bridge. Yep. Um, also, like, like <laughs> what's that, you know, the Simpsons bit where it's like, uh, we've got three ways of doing spin doctoring. There's subliminal, liminal, and superliminal. What's superliminal, uh, Andrew Constance? This is a good news story, not a bad one. Like, that's some, some unsubtle <laughs> yeah. spin doctoring. Uh, Just no, being no, no, like, no, no, no. hey, you like this now. <laughs> you fairy-catching losers love this shit, so stop pretending that you don't fucking love it. Um, all right. Probably time to move on. Uh, New South Wales government... And Andrew Constance, you know, fucked up. Cool. Well, now it's time for Shitpost of the Week. And I think for the very first ever time, I'm awarding myself a Shitpost of the Week layup assist. Uh, and this is for... Nice work, re- Thanks. Yeah, I'm very proud. I've waited for this a long time and so on and so forth. Um, so this was a screenshot of a New South Wales government-sponsored Facebook post. And it said... So this is the text, and there's a meme with it. I'll do the text first. Plants need green heart too. Like green heart <laughs> emoji. Want to help some of our lesser-known leafy-threatened species? Submit your winning names here. Um, and it's a link to name our species. And the meme is the, the doge meme, you know, like uh, big strong doge versus weak modern doge. And they've got two different plants on them. And the one on the left, the strong doge, is labeled plants with cool catchy new nicknames. So much cool. Very catchy. Lots of new attention. <laughs> okay. It's not really how that Doge meme text works, but that's fine. And then the shitty Doge on the right is labeled plants with a long scientific names. Much long names. So lengthy. How pronounced? Not notice me. Um, it's a real corker of a shit meme. <laughs> it's, uh, it's so impressively bad. I thought it It could had... only have come from a government department. Yes. It had big new south wales police facebook energy like they're always mm. just misusing memes just just right just to enough be so that you know entertaining. That cops. yeah yeah uh but luckily this one is about plants and not cops so if you want to go and give some cool nicknames to threatened species just head to bit.ly forward slash name dash our dash species and uh, name some species there but uh, we Maybe also offer have... your meme services to the New yeah, South Wales t- government because fuck knows they need it. Maybe you could offer to advise them not to buy murder fairies while you're there. I don't know. Bank it a murder fairy. Deal. We should uh, try and get some a plant named Big like Doge. Constance's uh, murder, fairy, murder fairy asbestos. Yeah. So power, <laughs> so open air. <laughs> Such common name. Okay, uh, but we also have a shit post of the week of our heart. Oh. And this one is going to Tom Tanaki, uh, friend of the show, well-known leftist meme lord, um, and not a fan of The Simpsons. Uh, he has uh, re- repeatedly disdained Made The Simpsons. posts. Yeah. Long Facebook posts shitting on The uh, Simpsons. About how The Simpsons is not a personality trait, Simpsons memes are not funny, so on and so forth. Obviously, and, um, and I hardly disagree with that and very upset. By well... Not hardly, hard, heartily. we disagree hard, heartily, there you go, okay. Uh, and so this is the text with this post. Uh, here is a, an earnest attempt to create a Simpsons meme by someone who either doesn't understand them or understands perfectly that they are not funny at all, in brackets, me. And the, the image is, it seems to be drawn in paint. I'm not 100% Definitely. about that, but it, it has paint vibes of someone that's clearly a badly drawn Homer Simpson and, you know, sort of, uh, this isn't the same aesthetic as Chris Simpson's artist who does those weird drawings, mm. but it's the same sort of 
flavor. So there's this dodgy looking Homer who says dough and there's a donut in the air next to him. And then Marge appears uh, and she says, oh, homie. And that's crossed out. And instead it says Donald Trump. <laughs> and I, it's one of the best memes I've seen in months. Uh, it reminds me of Homer in the car driving along and being like, ha ha. Homer does say dough. <laughs> yeah. All right. Those are our shit posts. Thank you very much, me, uh, New South Wales government, and Tom. Great work, one and all. Um, now we're going to do a quick positivity corner. Positivity corner. Yeah, and as with uh, every positivity corner, this one has a sting in the tail, uh, or the, um, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Sting in the it's body. A, it's a depressing story. Sting at the start. Several stings. Several stings. Yeah. So there's a two-year-old girl named Isabella Lee Pinlung who was born in a refugee jail, uh, MITRE, the Melbourne Immigration Transit Accommodation, which is a refugee jail. And she lived her entire life there up until now. Her mother, Huyen Tuti Tran, was put there because she tried to seek asylum in this country. And now they've both been released to live in the community. Um, so Isabella is not in jail for literally the first time ever in her life. Um, they're hoping to reconnect with her father, who's been out in the community for a little while. Um, and it's just fabulous. Um, but also, th- not to let you en- enjoy some good news for too long, their lawyer pointed out that there was a kid that Isabella used to play with who's still in immigration detention, and she was like, one of the playmates is out, but the other one is still in there. So, you know, it's yeah. definitely good, we it's definitely definitely good news, to- but like... It's good news and we should celebrate the fact that a child is no longer in jail for no reason. But also, that child should never have been in jail at all. Yeah. Um, And we've still got a lot more. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we do. But thank you for that quick positivity corner noon. Sometimes, from whence you can get it, therefrom you have to take it. Hmm. Agreed. Uh, moving on now, we're going to um, do our First Nations story, um, and we're going to be talking about and using the names of um, a, a few ab- uh, two Aboriginal people who have died. So just a heads up. We will put uh, codes for skips in the show notes if you want to not hear this. Yes, we will. Uh, so this is two updates on high-profile death in custody cases that we've been following. The first, um, an update on the case of Tanya Day, it was a Yorta Yorta woman who was arrested for public drunkenness in 2017 in Castlemaine, Victoria. She fell and hit her head while in the police cell and died later in hospital from her injury. Um, and uh, it later came out that uh, the safety checks by police had been inadequate and against their own guidelines, they were supposed to check her every 30 minutes, but didn't check her nearly that often. So earlier this year, the Victorian coroner referred the case to the Director of Public Prosecutions, DPP. And she said that Tanya Day's death was, quote, clearly preventable had she not been arrested and taken into custody. And she said that she believed an indictable offence may have been committed, so she passed it on. Vic Paul have now said this week that they are not going to charge either of the officers involved, and there are also not going to be any internal sanctions against either of the cops. I've got a quote here from Tanya Day's family, which they released through the Human Rights Law Centre. They say... The two police officers who failed to properly check on our mum and instead left her to die on the floor of a police cell have been let off. The DPP seems to have based their conclusion on a police investigation that we have said all along was flawed and lacked independence. It is not good enough that such an important decision was made behind closed doors without any input from our family or the broader Aboriginal community. It is in the public interest and the interests of Aboriginal people across Australia that the police be held accountable for their actions. So... I mean, of course, the police investigation is flawed. Cops investigating cops is this is not a new problem. But, you know, when it comes to deaths in custody, like de- cops always investigate it first before it goes to the coroner, before it heads to mm, a coronial mm. inquiry. And then those coronial inquiries often heavily rely on the notes made by the police investigation in the first place. So even though there's, the you know, whatever independence you get from the coroner is going to be marred by the police's initial involvement in the investigation mm. and it, you know it's just ridiculous that these decisions are not public public or transparent that the vic poll's decision not to sanction or charge either of these officers is just like yep 
they they released a statement that's just like, yeah, we looked at the evidence, um, we talked to the DPP, and we just decided not to do anything. And that's all that Tanya Day's family is going to get. Just fucking shocking. So, you know, a really upsetting development in that case. Um, you know, the Tanya Day's family have been doing incredible... So much. Uh, They've been so active and... Um, seriously. Like, obviously, having to deal with it every day is re-traumatizing for them as well. Yeah. Like, it's... Yeah. They've been doing so much. Um, and I'm sure that their work will not end here. Mm. Um. The other case I wanted to give a quick update on was that of uh, Tane Chatfield, Gumilare Gumbangi and Waka Waka man who died in hospital in uh, 2017 after being found hanging in his cell in Tamworth Prison in New South Wales. He'd been on remand for two years awaiting trial. Uh, when he died, he'd returned from hospital just an hour before he was found. He'd been taken back to, taken to hospital the previous night after experiencing multiple seizures. His family was not told that he'd been taken to hospital. When he was returned to prison, a senior nurse assessed him and sent him back to a cell by himself. He had only recently been separated from a cellmate who was a good friend of his and who was really important to his mental well-being. Being separated from this friend was super distressing for him. It was later revealed that the nurse who sent him back to his to a cell by himself uh, didn't know that he'd experienced seizures, didn't know why he'd been to hospital, and didn't mm. have his hospital discharge papers. So, massive failure of the duty of care there. Tane Chatfield's family suspected that someone else may have been involved in his death. They said they found it hard to believe that he had died by suicide because after two years on remand, yeah. he was just about to go to trial. It was right around the corner. He was super confident of being acquitted. But this week... The New South Wales coroner ruled that his death is was suicide. Um, sh- the coroner did refer that nurse who assessed Tane Chatfield to the Nursing and Midwifery Board of Australia because um, she failed in her duties. A nurse who didn't get the information that she needed to do her job gets punished by a professional, you know, independent board or whatever, but police who are directly guilty of breaching their care like nothing yeah yep, yep that's, that's how it works um so yeah i mean cells should not have hanging points in and this was a recommendation of the royal commission into indigenous deaths in custody that was made years and years and years ago um the coroner also recommended that families should be notified if an inmate is taken to hospital which mm. seems pretty fucking obvious to me but apparently it wasn't. And she also recommended that Aboriginal health workers should be actively recruited to work in prisons where the pop- prison population is over 50% Indigenous people, which seems kind of fucked up to me. Like, I don't know, like, we- we've created this racist system which disproportionately mm. impacts Indigenous people. So let's get more Indigenous people to solve this problem when the damage has already been done and, and these other people are in prison. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I do kind of agree. But also, this is... Um, remember we talked about that uh, new Closing the Gap four-point plan a couple of weeks ago? And one yeah. of the things that, that was really big in that was about having the frontline workers who are doing service delivery to Aboriginal people and communities being Aboriginal people. And, like... Yes, if that's the only measure that we're taking, that's obviously going to fail and is kind of sick. Um, but if, yeah, but like, it's also probably going to save lives. So, yeah, you're you're um, you're, uh, you're not wrong. I think what you you know the coroner is maybe bumping up against the limits of a you know what remit. a coroner can do. Yeah, yeah, but also be being somebody who works within the the system that mm. caused this death and. Mm. Um, the system's inability to reform itself. I mean, the coroner said, I've got a quote from her here. Tane's death must be understood in its context of real social injustice, ongoing dispossession, and his lived experience of intergenerational trauma. Mm. Quite simply, more young Aboriginal men like Tane must be diverted away from the criminal justice system if we are to reduce the number of Aboriginal deaths in custody nationally. But, like, she can't recommend, like, or she hasn't recommended anything that, that, that would make that happen. Yeah. So, you know, and whether or not you put that down to, as you know, those things that we discussed, you know, uh, you know, whether or not she has the capability to do that or not, 
but you know, I mean, like she can, it's great that she's acknowledging the, you know, intergenerational trauma Mm. and dispossession as integral parts of this story. But like what's coming out the other end, take that to the next step or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the very court that she, that gives her Mm. her power Mm. is founded on those exact things. Yeah. That like her power is derived from that dispossession and intergenerational trauma. Yeah, and you know, and look, the, it, it's complicated engaging with this stuff. You know, for any uh, settler who is trying to decolonize and do good work, and she sounds like she has a relatively good understanding of this mm. stuff. But like, it's just it fucking it really frustrated me to read this um, and look at that and be like, yes, okay, so what are you going to fucking do about it? Do about it, yeah. <laughs> anyway. I'll finish up with a quote here from Tane's mum, Nyoka. He could have been home the very next day when he was going to be acquitted. Why didn't he make it? I believe he didn't make it because of the color of his skin. I still say today that the prison system killed my son. Court today is not going to stop me from fighting for what I want. I want change. There's too much injustice done to our people. As long as I've got breath in me, I will not let my son's death be in vain. And just before we get off this, I also, there's one detail of the story that kills me every time I come across it, which is in the weeks before her death, Tanya Day was supporting Tane's family. Mm. The last thing that she shared on Facebook before she died was an article about Tane dying in custody. And you just see the unstoppable, inescapable cycle of intergenerational genocidal violence that this Mm. country inflicts on indigenous people. And it's just... Absolutely fucking heartbreaking to witness. Well, maybe we should talk about that for another 20 minutes because um, this week for Mains, we are talking about the Adani Carmichael coal mine. Uh, and Zach, you came up with a food pun for that one. Do you want <laughs> to pitch this pun to the audience? you going to make me say it after what I just said. Okay. Okay. My How about I do the first little bit of the is... story, and then you can do the pun. That's all right. It's, it's happening well, now. Let's all get right. it out of the way now. Yeah. It's all, yeah. We've it started rolling. The pun is Gabagool tasting instead of Galilee Basin. So sorry. Z- we can move on now. Zach just finds the word Gabagool very funny. We were it's we objectively had, hilarious. We had a like Zoom party a couple weeks ago, and. I think one of us was the host or something. We kept changing everyone's names to like Gabagool related things. It was um, extremely entertaining. It was a really good joke. Yeah, but now we're going to talk about uh, destroying the country and planet. Um, well, I guess there's like a little sub mains pause corner at the start. The traditional owners of Wangan and Jangalingo country have set up a blockade to stop access to the Adani Carmichael coal mine. And there's a quote from a guy called Adrian Borogaba. We're taking back control of our land. That's what we're doing here. We're doing it because we've been ignored. As the original Wangan and Jangalingu people, we've been ignored through this whole process. We demand an end to the destruction of our unceded territory. We demand Dani Australia abandon their Carmichael mine project immediately. We want them out, and we want them to pack up and leave our tribal lands. And an Adani said, uh, spokesperson said this in response. People at the campsite do not represent the Wangan and Jagalingu native title claimants. And they claim that the traditional owners voted 294 to 1 in favor of allowing Adani to destroy their land. Which, in my opinion, is just like further evidence that native title is not an adequate substitute for sovereignty or, yeah, returning land to the people who whose land it is. Yeah, I mean, mining companies get to establish the paradigm like under which fair and legal use of land is decided. Like, yep. basically, we have the power to do this whether or not you let us. So do you want to like get a relatively okay deal for yourself where mm-hmm. we like carve out a p- small portion of the profits that we create from destroying your land? Or do you want to like fight it all the way? But also and, like... You know, the sure maybe there was a vote where 294 people voted yes and one voted no but like maybe that didn't happen and as we saw with Jukan Gorge totally like Rio Tinto was like yes we have permission to do this and then the like native title claimants were like well no we never gave you permission and in fact we were specifically 
putting like legal processes in in action to stop you from doing this. So yeah. like you can't believe literally anything Adani says. The and yeah, exactly. The article is very specific about the fact that this came from an Adani spokesperson. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. And Don't like trust there's them. also politics played about like who gets acknowledged by the government as native title claimants and like there's there's all sorts of things. So like it's extremely complicated, but like, even if the vote was real, that still doesn't legitimize this horrible, the, destructive, extractive, colonialist project. There are like two or three dozen traditional owners there right now, like blockading the road. So there's like literally well, there's, blocking the roads. In. There's like at least twenty people. So like, w- what the fuck is with this two hundred ninety-four no, to one vote? Like, uh, there's at it's, least nineteen it's the people Andrew missing Constance there. Andrew technique. No, no, I can see that you're protesting this, but actually, don't you remember you agreed to this? Yep. You just say what you want to be true. And speaking of, like, Adani fuckery, mm. uh, the other half of our little Gabagool Tasten segment here, set in the Galilee Basin, sounds like Gabagool Tasten, like the taste sort of Gabagool of. in the Galilee Basin. Noon, didn't do, Noon hates this, but he also didn't come up with a better version, so... Yeah. <laughs> Here we all are. You can, you can at least partially blame Noon for the Gabagool tasting. Okay, so in June, Adani applied to raid the home of activist Ben Pennings, who's the national spokesperson for the Galilee blockade, who organized a bunch of the Stop Adani stuff. Adani applied in June for what's called an Anton Pillar order, which I know I'm going to get flamed for my bad description of this by the various legal nerds that listen to this podcast. Please send in a potluck. But an Anton Pillar order basically means the applicant personally gets permission to go into someone else's private property and search it without prior warning, which is a pretty fucked up... Yeah, it's a pretty fucked up thing that you can ask a court to let you do. Um, Why can private citizens get that? Isn't that like what the cops are for? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's... uh, I don't know if individual citizens or only corporations can get them. I think citizens as well. But basically, it's designed to stop people getting rid of evidence, right? It's Uh a surprise search. And yeah, it seems to be... I don't know. It seems to be that they're executed by, like, private entities. That's what I got from the Wikipedia page. Anyway, so, again, claim me if I'm wrong. But so, you know, Donnie was claiming that uh, Ben Pennings had a computer which had confidential confidential information on it that was being used to organize against the Galilee Basin Coal Project. Mm-hmm. The application failed. They appealed it in June. Both were heard without any notice, which is the entire point of an Anton Pillar, right? You know, sure. It's, it's a surprise search. And last week, that appeal was denied. So the Court of Appeals said that Adani's evidence was, quote, wholly inadequate, wholly inadequate to justify the order sought. The appellants have failed to establish the likelihood that Mr. Pennings has any confidential information or that he has any confidential information stored at his home. Mm-hmm. They, were just, they were just like, this is like no. Well, this there's is, no point. This is silly. Uh, yeah, and this is factless. complete garbage. Yep. Uh, these orders have a pretty high standard of evidence because it's obviously a pretty traumatic thing for a court to approve people to sure. just burst into someone else's home with literally no notice and turn the place upside down. The like, and surprising people is the fucking point of this exact mm-hmm. order. Mm. Quote here from Pennings. My wife and I have three school-aged children living at home, one with a disability. Adani has failed in two recent Supreme Court applications to raid our family home for corporate secrets that they believe I possess. They want to silence dissent about their destructive thermal coal project that a majority of Australians oppose. I will not let a massive multinational company threaten or bankrupt my family. So, you know, it's definitely... It's also pretty funny, sorry, just, like, that they had to appeal so that, like, like, even if it was secret the first time around or, like, at no notice so he couldn't have found out, like, three or four days later he would have and then now they're appealing. Like, he had enough time to, like, pop it on a thumb drive or something. Like, I don't know. This isn't... I mean, like, the point is just to fuck with him, obviously. Like, they just want to mess him up. But, like, it's, it's, it's extraordinarily silly. No, and that, like, you know, these vicious legal tactics are, you know, they are very, you know, it's classic Adani. They're and still it's pursuing as well. Pennings. Yeah. It is. They're still pursuing Pennings in civil court for damages over actions that he was involved with. Yep. You mentioned earlier Adrian Borgaba, who they have bankrupted because he's taken them to court, being like, you shouldn't destroy my land. And then being yep. like, yeah, yeah, we but will. But how bad and you pay us damages? Like, yeah, they can. Yeah. And obviously, he's never going to be able to pay that. It's no, a ridiculous, yeah. ridiculous amount of money. 
But okay, you know, so haha, fuck you, Adani, for failing yep. on this one. Uh, but before we get off it, I just, you know, I was reading this ABC article about it, and they have this really quite long response from Adani in the article, and the just woundedness, the self pity in this response, it just killed me. So I just wanted to tell you guys about it. So this comes from Kate Campbell, the head of communications for Adani in Australia. Quote, Mr. Pennings is preventing us from going about our business because of the campaign of intimidation and harassment. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. They're really busy. Uh, Adani is busy doing this campaign of intimidation and harassment. And if they weren't, if if they didn't have to spend all their time doing that, they could go about their business. The the, the goal in response to a story specifically about of how you wanted to raid to a guy's and harass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Quote, our case claims that Mr. Pennings has been a key organizer of activities like threatening companies that if they work with us, they'll be subject to campaigns of harassment. And that includes things like locking onto mining equipment, blockades, occupying their offices, harassing their people via text messages, phone calls, and social media posts. Things that are really distressing for their employees who are just trying to earn an honest living. Okay, so today I learned that sending... Text messages is worse than actively contributing to global warming and riding roughshod over indigenous sovereignty. Mm. So good to yeah, know. Yeah, there's there's no one distressed or or intimidated by the Adani coal mine or, or their yeah. employees, and all of the people supporting the peripheral activities of Adani who are just trying to earn an honest living. We really believe that everyone has the right to express their own opinion. We support that. It's a core part of democracy. But we think it's important but that people express their opinions in a way that's legal, that's safe, and that does not prevent, prevent others from going about their legal and legitimate business. Exactly. Thank you, Noon. We support everybody's right to protest or say whatever they want, as long as it in no way impedes our business interests at yeah. all. Yeah. Also, so far, what he's doing seems to be pretty legal, you fucking jerks, according to the Supreme Court of Queensland. Appeal again, little That's That's a sick ban. Zach, it's legal according to the Supreme Court of Queensland. Mic drop, I'm out. Yeah, fuck you, Adani. Um, see you in court. No, I won't, please. Um, please don't. Yeah. Yeah. Snackpod can't afford that. No, we definitely can't. I mean, we um, could afford the uh, media presence, but... Um, I wouldn't say no. Um, quote here from the ABC. In a statement of claim, Adani alleged the campaign had led to the withdrawal of agreements with Downer Mining, Greyhound Australia, and AECOM, which is a, a big engineering company. And this, I think, gets to the heart of the matter. The reason why Adani is, is going after this guy is not just because it is, it's got nothing to do with corporate information or fucking secrets mm, or whatever. Mm. They're going after them because these campaigns are actually making a dent in their operations. Yeah. These actions are effective. There's literally no other reason why Adani would spend the huge amount of resources that, that they have pursuing this guy in court and Adrian Baragaba and all these other people. Like they are, mm. they know that they represent an actually a potentially super effective opposition to this horrible project. There's That's a why saying that um, used to get used a lot when I was doing enviroactivism. Uh, I think someone said it was by Gandhi. I don't really know. But um, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight at you, uh, then they fight you, then you win. Yeah. Um, and like, this is clearly in stage three at this point. So yeah, that's, yeah that's I mean, they're, they're definitely worried for sure. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I just thought it was fucking incredible to like be actively contributing to the destruction of our planet. And well, not just actively contributing, victim, but like it's going to be the, the biggest the coal spear. mine in the world or whatever. Yes. Like, yeah, the tip of the spear, the, yeah. The yeah. And if you want to break it down by like individual responsibility for their like senior managers and stuff like mm. there's there's gonna be a lot of environmental destruction and like human and animal life on your conscience mm. um just yeah i don't know these assholes they do, they want us to let them completely fuck the future of the planet mm. and every single being that exists on it but then they also want us to be nice to them while they do it and just let it happen without any yep. resistance i just so i just it just really outraged me and i i i just really really wanted to say fuck you just fuck you 
Thanks, Zach. Uh, I enjoyed you swearing indirectly at me, and I'm sure our listeners did too. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's what they're here for, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and... That's uh, going to bring us to the end of our news for this week. We do have a couple of reviews, and then we've got our special news segment. Should we? Uh, should we tell the people what it is to like? No, uh, I think that we need to, to maintain suspense. All right, Look, all right. I'm it's not, not another friendly Geordie situation. We do have some. No, we actually do have something, but we're not going to be. You know, let's not beat around the bush here. Nobody listens to the end of the podcast. We get a massive drop off over the last five minutes, where it's just where we shout out our listeners and we tell people to donate to our pa- donate to our Patreon. So we kind of want people to listen to that section because it's sort of important to us. People are like, oh, they're they're saying all this all the same shit they do every week. They're signing off for ages, and yeah, look, we do take a long time to sign off. We acknowledge it. But, but look, now we've got a little carrot uh, of a a new segment. Um, We're trying to put a little something nice at the very end of the podcast to encourage people to listen to the reviews and Patreon section. No cards on the table, okay? <laughs> Snack pod honesty. That's what you're getting here. All right, let's All right. jump into the reviews, Noon. Yeah. So the first one, uh, this is from Gabriel and um, titled Very Good Podcast, five stars. Thank you very much. And I laughed out loud at this review several <laughs> times and then immediately sent a screenshot to Zach. And Gabriel said... I thought it was a bit weird when they spent the entirety of the last episode just talking about their favorite family guy funny moments, but other than that, it's pretty good. Uh, it's fabulous. Thank you so much, Gabriel, and thank you, thank you uh, for signing up on Patreon as well. Yes. Thank you, MG Olsen, who also gave us five stars titled A Big Fat Yes, Australia Desperately Requires More Progressive Populist Voices, and these guys are on the way to being the next big thing. Can't recommend it highly enough. God, I hope you're right, MG Olsen. Yeah, uh, and they uh, actually sent us a, a private message onto our Facebook page um, to be similarly flattering and lovely. So thank you so much. That's really nice. We, we love really that kind of feedback. Yeah. Okay, and finally one from Amina Khan, uh, one of the mods on Ospol Shitposting. I hate both podcasts and white men, and yet this podcast hosted <laughs> by two white men has somehow become essential listening for me, despite their claim that they deliver, quote, bite-sized chunks of political news. Noon and Zach explore current affairs with depth, sensitivity, and nuance. These are the plucky boy reporters you didn't realize you needed in your life. Oh, thanks, Amina. That's I very love kind. plucky boy reporters really um, yeah. touch my heart. You do have um, strong Tintin energy. Yeah. I have nothing more to add to that. Cool. It's true. <laughs> it's just All a right. statement of fact. Um, yes, and if you enjoy the show and you want to support us, a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you can review us, including on Facebook, would be super helpful. Sharing us on your socials, also super helpful. And that if stuff you really gets like us shown do, to heaps more new people, so it's really, really helpful to do that. Yeah. Yeah, It's not exactly. just for our egos. So it's also good for our egos, which, you know, it's a are small and fragile. Yeah, minuscule. Um, and if you want to help boost and bolster those egos and you really like what we do, you can go and uh, sign up for our Patreon for as little as $1 a month, which gets you a monthly bonus episode plus other stuff. Um, we're working towards something uh, pretty big and we're getting closer and closer to our goal. Um, so please support us if you want to and you can. Now, time for time our for special it. treat segment because you've made it this far. You listened to all the business now you get now the party get. at the back. <laughs> um, You've put up with so the fringe. We thought it's time for the mullet. We wanted to like uh, sh- share a little something about our lives that isn't Ozpol or memes. That's just like something, something personal. So you guys get a little bit extra noon and Zach real real talk. Uh, and so we thought it would be good to have a little pup date at the end of each episode. We've each got a doggo. Uh, they're both very good slash naughty boys, um, and they're always getting up to hijinks. So yeah, we thought maybe we'd give you a little, a little two minute update on what's going on with our, our doggers each week. It, it definitely is a taste of like what Noon and I do when we're not talking about politics, which basically mm. we either talk about politics or we talk about our dogs. It's about it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, Occasionally the Big Lebowski. Also, uh, Zach's a bit uh, tired, and this episode has already been a huge shit show that's going to be uh, terrible to edit. So we might not get a sting, but I was imagining like, um, <laughs> don't you open that trap door, except it's like, now it's time for a pop date. So it's good. Maybe we can work on that for the future. But uh, yeah, yeah maybe we'll, we'll get it maybe next time, next couple times. You, you want to give us your pop date, Zach? 
yeah, sure. Okay, so my little boy is Dante. He's not that little. He's a pretty solidly medium-sized dog. Chunker. Yeah. He's extremely dense. He's a lab kelpie cross, all black. And he is basically a, a stinky demon tornado. He's mm. just extremely high energy loves bumping into stuff because he had his tail cut off before we got him his a rescue and um it only recently dawned on me that the reason that he's constantly backing into stuff and like hitting himself is that he doesn't his like he doesn't have the tail there to tell him, him that like yeah. hey there's a doorway approaching you should probably not move backwards at oh okay ne- never mind um so he loves bashing into stuff uh what was i going to share about dante this week Oh, yeah, he's really bad at catching balls. He's got terrible eye-mouth coordination. <laughs> if, every time you throw him a treat, he's either, like one of two things happens. Either he'll go for it and he'll miss and the like momentum of his head will send the treat flying off in a direction <laughs> I've seen that happen. It's so quickly <laughs> that he loses the treat and is like, Hey, uh, what's up? I thought I was going to get one. Yeah. <laughs> Give me a treat. The other thing that happens is he just watches the treat approach him through the air and doesn't do anything and just waits until it hits him in the face <laughs> and then it falls to the ground uh, where he snuffles it up. And that's actually a much more sensible approach than going for it mm. uh, and also hilarious for me to watch. Stay tuned for more updates about how my dog is bad at catching stuff. All right, so for my pup date, I've also got a rescue dog. His name's Bagel. He's a blue heel across something. Someone said he has a husky tail. I should get him gene tested. But yeah, he's a... Uh, he's a unique-looking pup. He is, yeah. Um, striking. Uh, yeah. But he he was a rescue, and he's got a lot of trauma, mostly about other dogs, but also, like, you know, he gets worried about prams and children and people on skateboards and plastic bags mm. and literally mm. anything um, but he's been doing really well lately i've been doing a lot of like uh counter conditioning and desensitization um and all, all of this very expensive training and it's, it's going well and the other day we had a really good walk where we ran into i don't know like six or seven dogs while we were out walking and he was super calm about all of them and just hey. before we got home there was this unavoidable situation where i could either walk into one large dog or two small dogs. Oh, jeez. I, I was like, this is going to go terribly. He's been such a good boy, but this is going to go badly. Um, and I walked past them. The, I went past the two little ones, and he was like a little bit alert, but not shrieking, which is amazing. And then they started shrieking at him, and he did one little, yep, and then was like completely chill about it. And that is just like phenomenal well because like maybe a that's year a ago victory. he would have been like ripping off one of their legs so yeah that's uh that was really lovely um it, it wasn't ideal bagel. to have to go past them but yeah he's doing great so that's that's really nice oh i know the relief of dante is also very reactive it can be very aggressive yeah. towards other dogs when you're on the leash and the relief that you feel when a dog goes past not. and nothing happens you're just like that is a huge win yeah for everybody involved yeah <laughs> Great. Thanks for your pup okay. date, Noon. No worries. Thank you, Zach. And thanks, listeners. I hope you enjoyed that little little snack of Zach and Noon. Is this a good idea? Should we do this every week? Or do you hate having the extra few minutes at the end of the podcast and you're just going to skip it anyway? anyway? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Let us know. We want to know. Please get in touch. Ospolsnackpot at gmail.com. That's where you can send, send your potlucks. Pot and um, yep. get at us on uh, Facebook or Twitter at OzPulseSnackBot if you want to interact with us in some other kind of way. Also Instagram. In the meantime, yep. you know, also Instagram. In the meantime, please make sure that you keep on snacking in the free world. And uh, don't fuck any cops. Crunch, crunch. Oh. <laughs>